The scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Is it hot in here or is it just me? It's hot in here? All right, great. Priscilla, would you mind hitting the air on just for Thank you. That's wonderful. Um, the half inch of pollen that is resting on your cars is also resting on my larynx um, right now. So I have um, regressed to an adolescent stage, which is why you didn't hear me singing. Um, uh, so bear with me through the sermon today. I'm un- it's unclear which octave I will be preaching in uh, sometimes. Uh, let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and worship together. Let it be your love, your grace, and your mercy that is shared and shown here this morning and then carried back out into the world. Amen. This morning we are continuing reading from the Gospel of John, picking up at the same point we left off from last week. Now, Pastor Al did a great job of setting the scene for us last week, and I just want to take a minute to refresh our memory of where we are and expand a little bit on what is happening. All too often, if we are not careful, we can get lulled into a sense of comfort and ease when reading the Gospels. And when I say this, please know that I am the most guilty. I will read these small segments out of context, and I imagine Christ knowledgeably, calmly, peaceably, sitting with his disciples, drinking a glass of Merlot, attempting to invite them and reason them into a new way of thinking and acting, as if a college professor has decided to hold class on the lawn one day, inviting the students to remove their shoes and relax in the warmth of the spring sun as they engage in a Socratic debate. But oh no, that is not the case here. As we heard last week, we are neck deep into the Gospel of John, looking at a portion of the farewell discourse. These are the final teachings of Jesus. The last words of instruction that the incarnate God will speak to humanity. And as we look at how this discourse begins, we see that this imagined narrative of peaceful conversation is replaced by one of confrontation, uncertainty, and urgency. 
It begins all the way back in the 13th chapter of John, where Jesus kicks things off by chastising Peter. Now, this is a common occurrence throughout the Gospels. But as we can recall from any early educational setting, when a teacher has to publicly correct a student's behavior, it kind of sets the mood for the next few minutes of class. Kind of like how I did with Fred earlier. So Jesus and Peter are having this back and forth about who is going to wash whose feet. And you can imagine that all the other disciples are either rolling their eyes or keeping uncharacteristically quiet so as to not draw any additional ire from the teacher. And just when everyone is washed and everything seems like it's going to settle down for dinner, Jesus makes a pretty weird announcement. He says, even though they have just been washed by the hands of the Son of God, there remained among them one who was still not clean. Jesus puts his robe back on and explains to them that they are to follow his example and then says, if you know these things, then you are blessed if you do them. But I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. It is to fulfill the scripture that the one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This, my friends, is the confrontational Christ. This is the Jesus who, as verse 21 states, is troubled in spirit. This is the Jesus who, in his final hours, is now under the pressure and knowledge of his impending death has gathered his most trusted disciples together, his most beloved friends, and made his final attempt at communicating the things that were the most important. Jesus knows what is coming. But not only that, he still has to put up with all of Peter's nonsensical zealousness. And there simply isn't enough time for playing around anymore. So Jesus presses onward. With every ounce of prophetic power, he says to them, I'm telling you this, before it happens, so when it does happen, you can believe that I am who I say I am. Now truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And then he looks at Judas and says, do quickly what you're going to do. And like an episode of 24 with Agent Jack Bauer, the clock begins to tick. Now keep in mind, all of this is still happening in chapter 13. Our scripture this morning is from 15, and we'll get to that in a second, but we need to stay here just another minute. Because after Judas... The second troublesome student had left. Jesus tries to regain control of the classroom, turned to his disciples and now resumes the lesson and says, Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you then a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, 
you should also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter completely overlooking the 11th commandment as just given to them from the mouth of God interrupts the teacher again. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus is like, Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And so Peter, the most zealous of the disciples who is apparently lost in a world that is completely revolves around himself, interrupts Jesus again. Lord, why can I, why can I not follow you now? I would die for you. Lay down my life for you. Let me come with you. And Jesus, knowing his time is limited and perhaps growing somewhat impatient, replies, oh, really? Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me thrice, three times. This again is the confrontational Christ. Not speaking out against Pharisees, Sadducees, or the Roman Empire. Not speaking to a crowd of men holding stones. But this is the Christ who is prophetically calling his closest friends, his beloved disciples, to task. Not out of anger, but perhaps out of frustration because he is filled with a deep and abiding love. And knows that these final words are the most important and they are simply not listening As we move through this final conversation between Christ and his disciples, we continue to see the confrontational, time-limited, deep-abiding love of Christ. We witness Christ as he pleads with his disciples for understanding. In chapter 14, Philip speaks to Jesus and says, Lord, show us the Father and we will then be satisfied. And Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you still do not know me. Whoever has seen the Father has seen me. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I'm not speaking my own words to you. These are the words of the Father who dwells in me, doing his work. Get with the program, Philip. And so now with 25% of the class either in trouble or full rebellion. It is then perhaps that Jesus sees their confusion, their fear, and their misapprehension. Things are moving too fast. Judas is gone. Peter might be out too. Jesus is leaving us. Is he going to die? Are we going to die? It's as if with every heartbeat, you can feel the seconds passing. Time is slipping away. Things are beginning to unravel and everyone feels out of control. So Jesus, the loving shepherd, the diligent teacher, attempts to reroute, to refocus and redirect the students to provide some comfort in what has now become a very tense moment. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate that will be with you forever. 
the spirit of truth. You will know the spirit. It will abide in you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. The world may not see me, but you will see me. And because I live, you will live. And in the midst of that confusing information, everyone catches their breath for a minute. Jesus goes on. I've said these things to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you more, remind you of all this. And so peace I leave with you. Peace. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear into this mess. And I've told you all this. I've told you all this before it happens, so when it does happen, you will know what to do. And I'm doing this because God told me to. And I tell you this so that you know how much I love my father. And then Jesus checks his watch and says, we got to go. The last verse of chapter 14, rise, let us be on our way. And so they begin walking. They're leaving the upper room, headed to the garden of Gethsemane, but there is no rest for the weary. Love incarnate still has much to accomplish in these final minutes, and every step now leads directly to the cross. So again, here is Jesus, and if you remember from last week, he is walking past the temple. He knows that Judas is somewhere nearby, gathering the guards together, perhaps even in the temple. This is not a leisurely after-dinner stroll. This is a hurried, fast-paced endeavor. Still has to take them around the Kedron Valley. This is stressful. So much so that we heard last week from Pastor Al that Jesus was even sweating blood. Hematidrosis. Did I say that right? A very real medical condition where the sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels. And they constrict and then dilate to the point of rupture where the blood will then infuse into the sweat glands. It is noted as uh, being caused by extreme anguish. In the other gospel accounts, we see this level of anguish when Jesus proclaims, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And so they're traveling Jesus continues by discussing the vine and the fruit that we heard excellently preached on last week. But as he concludes that portion, perhaps running through his mental checklist, Jesus remembers that he was interrupted by Peter. That Peter was more worried about where Jesus was going to be on Tuesday than about a complete dogmatic shift in Abrahamic society and Jewish law. The fact that there was now an 11th commandment as given to the world directly from the mouth of God was so quickly overlooked that Jesus must come back to it again. And so he repeats to them, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Within around 20 minutes or less, Jesus has had to repeat himself. And since we who look at scripture through this window of omnipotence, we know that time is of the essence. 
that every word must now carry greater significance, that only the most important and most crucial of ideas, themes, and commands are being given, and that these words have held up in Scripture in this way, we must place our greatest emphasis on discerning why. Why has God chosen to speak these words to us? Why have they withstood the test of time of being retold, rewritten, and translated? Why are they repeated? What did we miss two chapters ago that needs to be clarified? Why is this further explanation offered as they are practically running through the alleys of Jerusalem? God spoke but once and light appeared. Spoke but once to pull forth dry land. Peace, be still, was enough to quiet the storm. Come forth, pulled Lazarus back from the dead. As with almost everything, the problem is us. We, like Peter, have a hard time focusing on the things that are truly important. And the commandment to love as Christ loves is something that not only the disciples failed to grasp, but is something that we still struggle with today. When Christ talks about love, love for God, love for each other, love for the world, the love that we are called to give and show and share and proclaim, we need to understand that he's not talking about an easy love. Nor is he talking about a love based solely on how we feel. Because a love that is entrenched and based on how we feel is completely about self. And if our love is founded in self, then we are disconnected from God. When Jesus commanded us to love as he loved, he was talking about a hard work kind of love. The kind of love that is developed and nurtured and built upon over time. He was talking about the deep and abiding love that challenges us to grow, become more holy, and will ultimately leave us dead. Jesus said, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And you are now my friends. I've told you everything I'm supposed to from God. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And I'm telling you all this so that you'll love one another. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done The hardworking love that Christ calls us to do is a love that leads to death. 
A love where we, like Christ, lay down our lives for someone else. This is the highest commandment. The most important thing that Jesus ever said. It is the one thing that we are supposed to do. And almost no one willingly wants to do it. And as I said, I am the most guilty of this. So as we come to the table this morning, as we remember the Christ who gave his body and his blood for us, as we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us, I invite you to reflect on the following questions. Do we love each other enough to die for each other? And don't just think about your friends and family. There may be somebody here for the first time today or someone who you simply don't know that we're called to love as Christ loved. As a people who have been chosen by God, are we at First United Methodist Church known for our selfless giving, yielding every bit of who we are, so that the love of God is made abundantly clear to the world. And lastly, does Jesus only mean physical death as a way of demonstrating this great love? Are there other things that we can let go of that we are willing to let die that demonstrate our love for God and love for each other. I'll close this morning by reading from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part. And we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, 
then the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I'll add in, loved like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror only dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love. Amen.